So I want to welcome my father to Harbor Rock Tabernacle. He will bring the word of God and we are going to be blessed by what Christ has done for us. Would you welcome my father, Ross Roots? Well, I've been to church. Isn't this absolutely wonderful? I was raised Lutheran. Half of the family was Roman Catholic. My father was a Presbyterian. He was actually a Methodist minister, too. I married a Baptist, and I think I've been everything. I thank the Lord. I'm redeemed. What a wonderful Sunday. It's special for us, and I thank Pastor Paul for inviting me on this day. I insisted, I said, the people will want to hear the pastor on Easter Sunday. And look at this room. It's completely full. I thank the Lord for our grandchildren, Jake and Annie and little Matthew, and for this lovely family. I thank the Lord that you have a man of God who knows the word and walks the life, and that you have deacons and trustees who serve with him, and you're a happy church. It was exciting to walk into this morning. Everybody's going someplace doing something. I love that. And uh, we have uh, 11 grandchildren, last time I checked. And our daughter, Kathleen, has three daughters, and she's having three babies this year. So from the daughter, we have three great-grandchildren. And just so grateful, her young boy, Jason, when he was a little younger than, than Matthew down there, he said one day to his mother, he said, like Papa, I'm going to be a man of God. And uh, Kathy, our daughter, almost came to tears. And then she thought, well, son, what are you going to say when you're a man of God? He's going to say, he said, I'm going to tell people they can't jump on the couch and throw the pillows on the floor. That was the message of the day. I love it. I praise the Lord for this wonderful day. Would you take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew? And the text is found in the 28th chapter. If you're here this morning, know that this church is a church of the book. And they love the Bible, and they preach the Bible, and they seek to live the Bible. There may be one in the pew rack. That's a good thing about having a church. Isn't this church beautiful? Aren't you glad there's not a crucifix there, but the risen Christ? I love that. And these beautiful windows. On Friday night, the sun set and came right through that beautiful window back there. I hope the uh, powers that be let you stay here for a long while, at least in until you have enough money to buy your own place, but that's in the future. But it's comfy in here. It's beautiful. How many like those chairs all the way in the back? They're the best chairs. They came from the other church. I noticed they fill up first. I don't know what that says about the spiritual interest of the people, but uh, it's great. Matthew chapter 28. I'd like to read down to verse 6. This is the word of God. In the end of the Sabbath, that Saturday, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, that Sunday, 
Okay, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Some people say, where was the Virgin Mary? Well, you remember John, when Christ was crucified, Jesus said to John, you take Mary. And I would imagine on this morning, she's mourning and remembering the death of her son. She's not there, but these other two women. Women sometimes can have a more powerful witness than men. Women are nurturers. And... Uh, They are there at the beginning of life. These women are women who have been converted. It was said of this one woman that she had seven devils. That exorcism was powerful about Jesus. Behold, there was a great earthquake. And the word there is seismos. When we get seismology, the earth shakes. And the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone for the door, and sat upon it. Not to hold it down, but to show a position of authority. His countenance was like lightning, must have been dazzling. And his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake. Same word. They trembled and shook like the earth. As the earth opens up its bowels for the risen Christ, so these men are struck by the awesome moment. And the angel answered and said unto the women, don't be afraid. One of these precious witnesses this morning was about fear and anxiety. You know the word fear appears 1,500 times in the Bible, almost twice as much as the word love. We live in an age of anxiety because of communication and other factors. But if you're here this morning, and one of the signs said, I think that was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Uncertain, fear, trying to forgive and forget the past. If you're troubled at all this morning, the good news is that Christ is risen. And he's slain. The Bible says he swallowed up. He gulped death down. Let the church say amen. So don't be afraid. Just rest this morning. It's a beautiful service. Don't be afraid, for I know that you look for Jesus, which was crucified. Look at the verb, past tense. He is not here. He is risen as he said. Come and look at the evidence. My text this morning is this one phrase. He is risen as he said. And I said when I prepared that for the morning, what would you expect? Would you expect somebody who said in great audacity, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Would you expect him to lie? And he did say, the documents of the scripture said, probably in a year and a half when Jesus began to preach, he told the disciples, I eventually will go to Jerusalem. And they will take me, these wicked religious leaders. Watch out for religious leaders. Tired to take charge of the message of Jesus. They'll take me and seize me because of jealousy. And they'll beat me and they'll put me to death. But the third day I'll rise again. And remember that's when Peter said, shut up, Lord. That's the Greek. Shut up. Don't talk, Jesus. And Jesus said, you get behind me, Satan. What I'm saying is the truth. He had told them again and again. 
And particularly the last week of Jesus' life. We'll look at that this morning, just briefly. He is risen, as he said. You see, we live in an age now more than ever before where you can't depend on anybody's word. We've been to the Ukraine many times. Had a great crusade there with Mr. Graham. 50,000, 60,000 people a night. And the new president, you know, they ousted the previous one who wanted to do business with Russia. The new president is a born-again evangelical. He's a Baptist. And the head of the Billy Graham Crusade Ministry is his personal friend. So he was low in politics when we had this great crusade. Well, when the Soviet Union yielded for Ukraine to be its own country, Clinton and Obama also signed the agreement that they couldn't have any military. And they took away their nuclear arms. So now they have no way to defend themselves. And Putin is coming in. The promise was they would have an independent country. But like Hitler, these unarmed people are creating a protest and seizing the buildings. And so if you were a neighbor, what would you do? You'd say, I'm going to go in and protect that. That once belonged to me. But the words change. We have a mayor. Your mayor was on the front page of the paper this morning. We have a mayor who swore to keep the rules of the government of Charlotte, North Carolina. He wasn't in office two months. And he took graft and bribe. He's in prison this morning. The mayor of the Queen City of the South. We were told that uh, we could keep our own insurance. I don't know where it is today. I can't keep up with the news. But that's all up in arms. Only 22% of the American people trust the government, the legislature, the senators, and the congressmen. So no wonder people don't trust each other. No wonder people agree to do something and then they get their own agenda and change their mind and do something else. Businessmen know that all the time. I got an email from a man this morning in Charlotte who's a real estate friend, and he says about 20% of the people that agree to pay the fee, when they come to closing, say, you eat the fee. And many of them are Christians. Uncertainty is the characteristic of our age, but not of Jesus. I promised I would rise again. Remember that contention about you destroyed this temple and they thought it was the temple of Herod? And I will raise it again the third day. You can trust him. You may not be trusting Anybody, but you can trust God. He is risen, as he said. As he said. Now, what did Jesus say? Let's look at two or three, being aware of the time in this wonderful service. You always want to get the people out on Easter early. Everybody say amen. <laughs> Luke chapter 13 and 3. This is what Jesus said. They're telling him about a building project. I've been a man down here on the fifth row in that nice blue shirt. He's a contractor. Well, apparently there was a building, a tower, and it collapsed. And when it collapsed, it killed a lot of people. And the question is, when something happens to people that didn't cause the accident, the first thing you think of, God's judging them. God's punishing those people. That's okay until an avalanche in Switzerland buries a whole little school of children. 
as the old song said at the time of President Kennedy, uh, the young die early. They die young. So the question came to Jesus. And he said, do you think that because they're Gentiles and not like you religious people, uh, that there's something hidden that I'm not explaining? I tell you, you need to repent. And then he says it again. Look at it in verse 5. I tell you, don't miss it. Except you repent, you shall likewise perish. Or put it in the positive. If you repent, you won't perish. Now, what is repentance? Repentance is to change your mind. That's what Luther said, who founded this denomination. Change your thinking. It means to reverse. It means to be sorry for. Sometimes you say something to somebody, you wish you could eat your words. You should immediately say, I'm sorry. Repentance is to be sorry. Friday night, one of the great songs was Via Dolorosa about suffering. Beautiful Friday night service here. It's about the sorrow. I'm sorry that Jesus had to go through that. I'm sorry for his gaping wounds. I'm sorry that he descended into hell, which is the creed. Suffered under Pontius Pilate. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again. And your pastor pictured this on Friday night. That all of the sins of the world came upon him. John the Baptist said that. Behold the Lamb of God. Take a look at that man over there. The Lamb of God. He takes the sins of the world. You see, everybody could go to heaven if they wanted to. Jesus died for the whole world. Not for the elect or a group of people or a certain country or a certain ethnicity or a race, or something like that. He died for the whole world. God so loved the world. So potentially all could be saved, but actually only those who take the offer and receive Christ and who turn from their own self-trust. The Bible says, but as many as received him to those he gives the authority to become the sons of God, it's for you to take. The offer is on the table. Sign it. Press hard to three copies. One for the Father, one for the Son, and one for the Holy Spirit. A gift has to be received. But you have to change your mind about your thinking. Now, when I went to seminary 58 years ago, whenever it was, my Social Security card is in Roman numerals. It was a long time ago. (laughs) We had to kind of find illustrations. Pastor Paul has one in his office I saw this morning. A thousand illustrations, and pastors usually go to the book and get the story and tell the story. You don't have to do that anymore. Everybody knows everything's going down. Everybody knows the uh, entertainment is pornography. Everybody knows corruption and violence seize our world. We have a mission in Sudan. In Sudan... The blacks of the northern part of Sudan, Afro-Americans in the Nuba Mountains, and there are, of course, Africans in the bottom of Sudan. The northern Sudan population, because of Islam, came down and the last 15 years have killed 2 million people. And guess who's in the south? The Christians. There's oil in the south. So they burned all the churches, raped the women, 
killed the pastors, tied them to a tree. Our grandson was in the Nuba Mountains for a whole summer trying to help these people who were so pure, poor, they were eating bark. Greta Van Susteren was over there. Violence and corruption. Change your mind about the human race. The Bible says we've all come short of the glory of God. You say, Ross, what is sin? Just take the Ten Commandments. Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. First and greatest commandment. Not a person in this church would say, I've kept, I've kept the love of God. I love him more than anything. Thou shalt not steal. Did you ever take anything? Sometimes you steal a person's ideas. A lot of that. It's called intellectual property. I founded a seminary years ago, and one of our faculty members was stealing information from a master's thesis of one of the students called plagiarism. That's stealing. Sometimes you steal somebody's joy. You're a wet blanket. That was a phrase my mother used. I don't understand that. Well, I suppose it's dry blanket is better, but sometimes it's rain on everything. Sometimes people just are so discouraged. They don't bring joy to anything. Stealing. Taking what isn't yours. How about lying? Anybody lie? Of course, we all lie. Thou shalt not commit adultery. The word in both passages means any sex during marriage that violates the marriage covenant or any sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman or two men or two women. That is an offense to God. It's a sin. Do you remember when David was tempted by Potiphar's wife, the great, great Joseph of the Old Testament? He said, you're kidding me, when she started to undo her blouse or whatever it was and tried to entice him. Joseph said, how could I do this and sin against God? We forget that sin is against God. And we think we can just brush it off. And we, as Christians, so many times, we just continue to live and do stuff that we know is wrong. The conscience bothers us at the beginning, and then we don't feel anything anymore. And our conscience, the Bible says, has been seared. I have a tooth in uh, my mouth that I'm having some trouble with. And the dentist said the other day, I have to devitalize it. I've got to take the nerve out. He said, I'll put a cap on it. He said, you won't feel a thing. Because the nerve is gone. And a lot of time in our lives, listen, child of God, and listen, if you're not a believer this morning, you keep in perpetuity doing something that you know is wrong, and God is giving you the power to say no to it and turn to a holy life, and eventually you don't feel the thing. Your conscience is burned out. Let me ask you, have you ever repented about your personal obligation to thank God? Have you ever repented about your idea for Jesus? That he's just somebody on a stained glass window. He died, rose again. You believe that. The devils believe that. Believing is just not mentally understanding it and kind of affirming it, I guess. It means to receive him and trust him, depend upon him. Is the only way to heaven and an escape and a rescue out of hell by trusting him. I love this one sign this morning. Saved Easter. I guess it was last year, 2012. Somebody say amen to that.
was only a year old than Jesus. Not afraid to stand up here with a sign. Tremendous. The second text I'd like you to turn to is in the Gospel of John, chapter 3. We'll be a little brief with this one because everybody kind of knows it. Jesus said, except you be born again, you'll not see the kingdom of heaven. If you don't repent, you'll not get to heaven. You've got to change around. You've got to do it. You've got to receive Christ. Born again. When you're born, you're born with a soul. The real you is a soul. We say it's the spirit. Same word, really, although too detailed to argue about it. The thing that animates you is the real you. It says Christ was on the cross, and he gave up, not ghost, that's an old word. He gave up the spirit. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. He was crucified, but he controlled his life, and he controlled his resurrection. I give up my spirit, and the spirit leaves. I remember when I was at Wheaton College, my mother died. My father called him. I was a student, and I was preaching at a church. I went to the phone, and Dad said, your mother fell in the snow. She died some. When I got home, she was already in a casket. And I remember, first time I'd ever had that. I'm a student, like 22 years old. I touched her leg, and it felt like this pulpit. Hard as a rock. The body dies, and the soul goes to be with God. Or, as the Bible says, the wicked should be cast into hell and all the nations that forget God. Oh, woe to America. You go to be with God, or you go separated from God in a place Jesus preached more about than he did about love, a place called hell. So Jesus said to this religious man, who was very knowledgeable, give him the benefit of the doubt, he's a ruler of the Jews. And Jesus said to him, you've got to be born again. You're born and your soul is dead. Paul says it's dead in sin. What's it mean to be dead? Not responding. Doctors usually run something under a fingernail. Or they check the carotid artery. Or they check the pulse. Uh, The fifth best-selling book on on the New York Times this week is the story of a little boy who said he went to heaven. I question it, but it's a good story. Your soul, your spirit, leaves and goes to be with God. But it's born not responding to God. All of these great signs this morning told of a transformation. Once I was this, now I'm this. Once I was that, but now I'm this. It's called conversion. The French word is conversion. The military term is walk in this direction and do a reverse. Go in the other direction. Because when you receive Christ, the Bible says your soul is slapped and given life. The whole theme of the resurrection is that death was canceled. Nada is the Spanish word. And new life came and Christ rose again. And because he lives, we sang, you can live too. Your soul can be awakened to God. And Paul says, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things become new. How many are glad this morning you can remember when the old stuff started to go away and new life came? Put your hand up and say, praise the Lord. Sure. 
you've got to be born again. That's what he said. Now, I'm just not making this up. This is what Jesus said. You must be born again. Let's go to a third thing. Go to chapter 5, a tremendous passage in John. John 5, 24, a great verse. If you're just listening, and thank you for listening so attentively, your pastor has taught you well. Chapter 5 and verse 24, Jesus says this, verily, verily. I'm sure Pastor Paul has said this. When Jesus said that twice, it's like your mother who said, listen to me. Now listen to me. (laughs) Verily, verily. Truth, truth. I don't need to say it more than twice. Verily, verily, I say unto you, look at this. He that hears my word and believes on him that sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. In 1829, two men, James Potter and George Wilson, you can find this on the web, they both robbed a mail carrier. One report says they killed the mail carrier, but whatever, uh, they were convicted by a jury. This is 1829, December 16. In those days, crime was serious. And the court convicted them of this crime. You don't rob the United States government, at least in those days, and sentenced them both to be hung. James Potter was hung. But it was time for George Wilson to be hung. There were hundreds of petitions that went to Andrew Jackson, who was the president at the time. And Jackson, who had the authority, gave him a full pardon, excuse, no offense, you go free. But George Wilson said, I reject it. So it went to the Supreme Court. And the chief justice of the Supreme Court was John Marshall. And they had never had a case where somebody who was condemned to be dead, to death, and it was hanging in those days, ever rejected a pardon. So the court said, see if I can quote it, that a pardon is an act of grace given to someone who is convicted of a crime to be excused from the penalty of that crime, and in this case, death. But George Wilson rejected the pardon, even from the president to the Supreme Court, and they hung George Wilson, section 153 to 60, they hung him. He could have been free, but he rejected it. Now apply that to this wonderful text. Jesus said, if you believe in me, after hearing about it, if you believe in me, you'll have everlasting life and you'll live forever in heaven. There's the offer. And you will not come into condemnation. You'll never stand before God and have God said, out. Depart from me into everlasting darkness, which was the phrase of Jesus. We would say, get out of here. Skidoo. I don't know who you are. You'll never face God for anything you ever did, anything you thought, anything that was unintentional. You did by accident or anything you did in a purposeful, intentional way, it'll all be gone. 
Let the church say amen. You ought to shout there. It will all be gone. And you will not come into condemnation. You will never stand before God, whenever that is, and have God look at you and say, not one. In fact, the moment you believe, you are given everlasting life. The moment you believe, God writes your name in a special book called the Lamb's Book of Life. The moment you believe, you get eternal life. That's why Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Though you were dead, yet shall you live. And Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But Christ lives in me. That's the mystery. And it may be a little difficult for you to get through that this morning if you're visiting. We're so thrilled you're here. But the deal is, you get a rescue. I love to see these. Sukorsky was the original builder. He's a Russian Jew in the United States with a helicopter. And they come over and they hover sometimes in extreme situations, send down that basket and rescue the person. That's what Jesus Christ did. He hung on the cross and offered a rescue plan. And the rescue plan is you'll miss the judgment. You'll have everlasting life. The moment you believe, you begin to live forever. You will not really experience separation from God, which is the mere meaning of death, but you'll immediately go into the presence of God. That was the de- deal with the thief. I'm adding a few things here. I hope I'm not running out of time. Today, today you will be with me. doesn't mean today because our Lord descended into hell. There's a comma there. I say to you today, You'll be with me in paradise. What a promise. No church, no hymn book, no cross, no teaching, never did a miracle. Jesus, he was just there. Last minute stuff. Like my sister, who lived 82 years denouncing God. But my sister finally said, I'm sick of you. And Lois is very passive. I'm sick of you. I'm not going to go to lunch with you anymore. Your problem is mother and dad prayed for you. Mother died at 54. Dad died at 98. We've all struggled dealing with you, Jeannie. And I'm not coming back. You need to be saved. And the Holy Spirit smacked her. She fell on her knees, was gloriously saved. The problem is she only lived one year afterward. She was a smoker and became blind. And on her bed a month before she died, she tossed and turned in the darkness. She died a terrible death. But we spoke to her two or three times. She was gloriously saved. But think of all the years she could have lived in happiness. But straight arm Jesus, like I used to do in football. You want the deal? Here it is. Listen to me, young person. Let God speak to you. Christians pray. As I just close this one thought. You'll miss the judgment. You'll know heaven. Why? Why? Because Jesus destroyed death, rose again, and says, I give unto them eternal life, and they'll never perish. One more text, John chapter 14. Sometimes this is just read at somebody's death. It's a shame. Let not your heart be troubled. Fear, anxiety, phobia. 
We have a very wealthy friend who grew up with uh, Pastor Paul. Uh, They don't have any children. They have, have so much money. And she won't fly. She's afraid. With all this money, they just stay in Charlotte. How dumb. That's the meaning of this word, phobia. Gives me the creeps. I could never go on a plane. Don't be troubled. Don't worry about it. Let it go. I'm going to be crucified. You'll be okay. I'll send the Holy Spirit. You're going to expect trouble? Well, what do you get when you follow me? I have overcome the world. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. You know the text. The promise of eternal life and the confidence of heaven. When my mother referred to that, it wasn't in my notes this morning, but people would say, your mother was such a wonderful person. And my sister, who was saved, Lois, she was a school teacher and a musician, She stood next to me. I was totally devastated. And my sister, joyful Christian, said, well, mother knew where she was going, and she's in heaven. Thank you for your kind comments. Her sins are forgiven. She's in heaven. We miss her like crazy. I'm so glad you loved her. I'm so glad she was a nice woman to you. But she's in heaven. He's not here. He's risen, as he said. I will rise again. And earth vomits up. The great body of Jesus and the Spirit comes to live with him again. And he testifies to 500 people in a mass meeting. He speaks to Peter, who betrayed him. He spoke to the disciples and said, As the Father sent me, so send I you. I want to mention three things briefly. Look at verse 14. I say unto you, greater works will you do because I go to the Father. That's an astounding, that's an astounding verse. Greater things. Tell me something in your mind. If you could have anything you wanted today, what would you want? I think I would want my mother to know that I married Carol. She only met Carol twice. I had gone with this other girl. Her name is never mentioned in our family. (laughs) And my mother used to annoyingly say, she's not the right one. She didn't have a face like that. But uh, how do you know she's... You'll know. So when I met Carol, Carol... Uh, came up in a car, and my mother was in a motel, and she pulled back at Wheaton College. She pulled back this little curtain, and she said to my father, who was a lawyer, she said, that's the one. I would want Carol to know, and I wouldn't want mother to know, that we have these wonderful children. They all love the Lord. These precious little grandchildren in the first row. I would want her to know that her prayers were answered. I wanted to know that when I was arrested as a 14-year-old teenager, I became a pastor and a speaker, and I was preaching for my son. I wanted to know that. 
I'd want her to know that. And what Jesus is saying is, you want to resurrect your mother? That's no problem. You want to heal cancer? No problem. I had cancer in 1992. Uh, You want uh, your son to return? Your grandfather or parent this morning and your kid is far off? Ricky Skaggs plays for us in our meetings. He has a son. He has no idea where the son is. He's in L.A., we think, in a rehab. Bring your son back. Save your family. Now that is really something. Sickness, disappointment, no money. You see, when money is lost, nothing is lost. When health is lost, something is lost. But when your soul is lost, that's everything. So Jesus said, when I go to the Father, you can probably still do a few miracles if you want to, but they don't last. You can get healed of every disease in life, but there's one's going to kill you. But when you lead somebody to Christ, when that man showed that sign, I said, I hope that's the signature of Harbor Rock. The people know when they come to this church, they get saved to begin to live the Christian life. And their lives are changed. That's that's the greater work that we can preach the gospel, tell people about the joy of God, and bring them to the Savior. So there are three things here that accompany this statement. Jesus said, you'll have peace. If people could bring peace today in the Middle East, it's about to explode. And Russia is going to invade the Middle East. If people could bring peace, he would be a Messiah. And, of course, the false prophet will do that. If people could bring peace to an argument in a family, a disagreement, if they could just bring a little tranquility, just a little bit of calm into the family, what Jesus said, my peace I give you, not as the world gives. The greater thing is to have peace of heart peace of mind. Nothing will do that. Secondly, prayer, Jesus said, just in a passage or two beyond this. He said, if you ask anything of my Father, I will do it. Think of the power of prayer. Think of telling somebody that you can't tell everything to how you really feel. There's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. Jesus knows all about our troubles. And you can talk to him. That's why yoga is getting so big. Meditation. And these guru stuff. They're not quite there. But when you know the gospel and you know Jesus, you have a peace that passes all ability to explain it. And you have communion with God. The third thing is power power to live the Christian life. Jesus said, go to Jerusalem after I'm gone. I'll be absent, but I'll be available because someone exactly like me will come in you and the power of the Holy Father will be upon you. The power of the Holy Spirit which give you happiness and peace. and You know the great 
evidences of the filling of the Spirit. You see, he's risen, as he said. Would you expect anything else? The three things about any claim, one, it's got to be true, two, it's got to be applicable, and three, it's got to be so important that it never runs out of gas. And that's Easter. It's true. Historically, it's been proven. Secondly, it's very relevant. You overcome the fear of death. You're filled with the power of God. You're cured of anxiety. You get peace. All this good aspect of experiencing Jesus takes place. And you know what? It never dies of shelf life. Now, this downed plane, the first report said there were 200 and some souls. When you get in a plane, the pilot says to the tower, we have 250 souls on this plane. Never say people. When that went down, the whole thing just seemed to come apart. The loss of confidence and the loss of peace and the power to overcome the dread of death and not being able to get the body back. Isn't it interesting? We have aborted 50 little babies equal to the population of Iraq, Iran, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, and Jordan. The population of all those countries right now is not the total amount of the babies that we have aborted. Do we need a revival or what? But when it comes to somebody going down in a plane and we can't find the body, we're restless and we're still telling the story about this plane and where are these people and so on. There's something irrevocable, immovable, terribly frustrating about the fact that we will all die. And after this, what? The judgment? No. No condemnation. I want to close with this story. We've been to Korea many times. and This ferry boat left from up near Busan and came down to the bottom of the peninsula of uh, Korea. He started late or something happened that he had to take advantage of some lost time. So instead of going out farther, he came close than he should have like that Italian ship where the guy was showing off the coast of that resort, and he hit a shoal, and that ferry started to tilt. It was midnight. And when that boat started to shift, the pilot of a plane can give you some warning. The captain of the ship, instead of saying, get your life jackets on, the boats are on the whatever, He didn't say anything. He said, stay right where you are. So you're in your cabin, writing a postcard or whatever, or you're a teenager. 17% were under the age of 20. Instead of saying and giving the alarm, only one boat was used, and people jumped into the water in the middle of the night, cold and dark, and some of them were trapped in their little bedrooms with about that much airspace and drowned in the darkness of death because the captain didn't give a warning. And I say, 
and you say, we ought to get that guy. We ought to make him responsible. We ought to make him pay. Well, I want to tell you, at 82, if this is the last time I preach, God's not going to say, Ross Rhodes, you're in Racine, Wisconsin. You should have known better. Your son trusted you with the pulpit, and you didn't give them warning. You didn't tell them. That's later than everybody thinks. And if you don't repent and change your mind about Jesus and receive him, they'll not go to heaven. If you don't tell them what I said to that religious leader, that they've got to be born again, all kidding aside, they've got to have a new heart and a new life. I'm going to hold you responsible. And if you don't tell them, they could have peace and power and forgiveness redeemed. If you don't tell them that, I'm going to hold you responsible. One last word. Ezekiel was told by God, the prophet, if you don't warn them, when the day of judgment comes, their blood will be on your hands. He's risen. As he said. And what he said is important and determines for you hell or heaven. And all you have to do is believe that he died for your sins and rose again. All you have to say is, God, save me. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Make me a real Christian this great celebration day. Will you do that? Will you do it right now? I was in a Presbyterian church just one time. Saturday night. Sat back there on the right. First time I heard what I told you this morning. I put my hand up. And the pastor had a stand. And a fellow came next to me and said, if you'll go forward... I'll go forward with you. And I came forward and confessed Christ. I'm not going to ask you to come forward this morning. It's Easter. And we've got to go to lunch. We have a big afternoon. All of us do. But I'm going to ask, as I ask you in just a minute, not now, to bow your heads. I want you to say yes to Jesus. I want you to say, I'm not sure my sins are forgiven. I'm not sure I'll miss the judgment but I want to make sure and I want to say, God, save me for Jesus' sake. Come into my heart and rescue my soul. Christians, you pray right now and let us bow our heads in prayer. All of us just bowed in prayer.